It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Tuesday night. And guess what? We have a winning streak to talk about. How about that? Three straight wins for your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union. A come-from-behind win at that with two goals in the final 10 minutes of the game. And joining us to talk about it, making his second appearance on the podcast, it's Adam Kahn from PhiladelphiaUnion.com. Adam, what's good, man? Not much, Kevin Grady. Thanks for having me on. I'm really glad to be back, and uh, especially at this time, we can talk about the win. Absolutely. Yeah, I figured uh, no better time to, to talk tactics, talk strategy, talk winning after three straight wins. And I guess, uh, look, I'll just start at real basic, real macro here. Um, you know, it's taken them, it's taken this team longer to get to three wins over the over the years, you know, and it, it's the nicest thing is not having to not putting yourself behind the eight ball and not having to put yourself in a position in May and June where you're just trying to claw back into that fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh place kind of middle of the pack in the table. Um, it seems like it's not a huge thing, but considering how this team has started over the years, is it a big deal? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a big deal, especially when you look at the East and you see how many teams that were near the top last year are struggling. And you think, uh, you know, they're probably going to pull it together at some point. You're going to have a really competitive conference with all the all the investment that's been made, even, you know, Orlando bringing in Nani. So getting off uh, to a strong start, especially when you're, you know, facing some of these uh, long road trips in April and then a really busy May, you want to at least have uh, something, start from a position of uh, a strength. And I think last couple games, when you look at the, the way they play defensively, that's uh, what the union are looking at right now. Yeah. You know, um, I think the talk, the main talking point that came out of the game was that it was a depth win. You know, all three subs that came on made an impact in the win. Um, Jim took uh, Fafi out of 55 minutes as well, which I thought is, is, is normally earlier than when he makes his first sub. Um, but, you know, that's I thought it was one of Jim's best coach games that he's had since he's been here. Um, what, what did you make of all that? Yeah, I mean, you know, switching the, switching the way the team looked and being willing to put Bedoya uh, right back I think was a – a big move. I think especially having trust in three strikers, and that's with you know Sergio Santos down with Bethlehem Steel where he, he got a goal. But having trust in all three of those guys to be able to bring you something different. And also, I think recognizing that other teams now are approaching the Union in a, in a certain way, you know, sitting back and, and seeing if the Union can play through them, because that's been a, an issue for them last year. In the Montreal game, that talent is the one where, where people started to talk about that narrative. And I, I think you see opposing coaches still go back to it. And, and Dallas sat back uh, same way Cincinnati did, behind the halfway line, and really challenged Philly to play through him. And, and, and it took a while. But, you know, that breakthrough, uh, I asked Corey Burke about, about that penalty today, and I, I said, do you think it was really a foul? And he said, oh, yeah, he, he dragged me down. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, it was, you know, you had to bring in guys like uh, Montero, and I think you see five clear, uh, clear, you know, starters in midfield with Warner Corval and Derek Jones definitely pushing right behind him. Yeah. Where you can you can put anyone in there and come with a different look and and Jim's got to learn how to use that and I, I think you're seeing that he's uh, he's got some idea how he wants to do it. Yeah, for sure. So that actually segues me very nicely into like five different things I have written down here. Um, <laughs> talk, talk about teams sitting back and playing through the lines, and I think this it probably lends itself to this question. Um, you know, obviously when Corey comes on, he's a bigger body. You know, he's he's got more CJ type of qualities versus uh, Fafa and David Akam, who were more, you know, like they played as, as wingers at times in the in the four two three one last year. Um, I know Fafa did play up top at, the, at that one point when they were playing four two three one in the Columbus game this year. But are, are you philosophically one of those guys? I, th- I think we always kind of look at like two striker sets and like some people have this philosophy of let's do like the one bigger ball-winning target man type of dude and then we'll have the smaller dude who runs off of him. Are you kind of like a believer in that in trying to match those skill sets? Or, or do you think that Fafa and David Akam can play up there together in a way that's not redundant? Well, I think the, the really interesting thing, and I, this is something that, that I've noticed with uh, you know, the way Red Bulls played the past couple of years, is when you play in a way where you're willing to, to put balls forward and then try and win the second balls, it's, it's less important to win that first ball than it is to challenge for it. Mm-hmm. And you see Fafa is, is someone who's really willing to go into those aerial challenges uh, David this year has looked like he's he's willing to make those as well, and as long as you can do that, and then uh, it, it gives you a chance to just have a, a loose ball, and then as long as you're the team that has tactically set up to win those second balls and to get bodies around it, yeah, then you have the advantage whether you win it or not. And that's that's the one thing I would say that I I really liked about what Fafa's brought. I mean, that's not the one thing because I think his his 
both those guys as wingers know how to know how to channel play, and I think that's been uh, something that's been really important pushing pushing teams to the the zones where you want to trap them. So, um, what do you what do you make of Jamiro Montero so far? I I look at him and I think of like a uh, you know obviously he hasn't played that many minutes, but looking at some of his uh, his film on YouTube and whatnot, um, you know he he looks to me like a smaller Nagby who's probably a little bit more gives you a little bit more bite defensively, um, but just seems like a really mobile guy out there. What what have you made of his game so far? I'm curious what you think about the the two striker set too because it's it is something that, you know like in Philly we haven't seen in yeah in a few years and then so I'm curious what you know what I'm I'm involved in it every day looking at uh, you know how does the one striker versus the two striker set look and what are we advantages are we getting but I'm kind of curious what it looks like from the outside what what the what the pluses and minuses have looked like so far um yeah I don't know it's interesting I think like one of the things. I see sometimes is that I, I don't I don't think it matters personally who your two strikers are or what kind of skill sets they have as long as they're not to me it's more about spacing and the runs that they make um, okay which is to say like I don't, I don't you know if you have two guys that want to sit on the back shoulder and just make the same run or you know play Carlos Ruiz ball um, <laughs> it doesn't then it doesn't really you're taking like measurables out of it. You know what I mean? Like Corey Burke could be six foot. Ten. You could have like Jan Kohler at six foot eleven or whatever the hell he was, right? And you could have like Semi Senturk at five foot six. But if they both want to sit on the back shoulder, it really doesn't matter that much anyway. So to me, it's more about. I think it's less about their skill sets. It's more about their tendencies on the on the field. You know. Um, and I know it's it's you know you, you sort of think of Marco Fabian sitting in that hole behind there being able to maybe unlock both of those guys, but you know with the way they've been playing, they've been pushing the shuttlers up pretty far, I think. So that brings Marco Fabian back a little bit, um, at least in the build-up play. So I don't know. It's interesting to me. I, I but to me, I think it's less about um, complementary skill sets. I think and more about the tendencies of, and how those guys like to play i mean i guess those are could be the same but not really yeah no i i, I don't disagree with that i think you know the more you're talking about it, the more i was sort of thinking about it the same thing but from the defensive perspective where you know you want you want two guys who defensively can read each other maybe more even so with the wet union play than you do so you often think about it offensively like you want a big guy to knock the ball down to, to a speed merchant or something like that yeah. but i think defensively what the union are looking for is those two guys who can read each other and and respond. So if you know Falcons force and play one way, you've got someone stepping into the middle. And in the last couple of weeks, when I've talked to both Ali Bedoya and Harris Virginia, they they talk about you know defense starting from the strikers and that being the thing that allows them to shape up behind it the way they want. Yeah, I mean we had some moments. I was playing Casa on Saturday. I played like 87 minutes, and uh, you know we had a couple you know, some instances where we were just able to snuff out play to the wings and I was able to step up and win the ball as a center back, like in the other half of the field, like way into the other half of the field, you know? Yeah. So it's more about, I think, what they're willing to do within the system. And I think it's more like, uh, it's I think it's less about the individual player and more about how they how they fit into that and what they're willing to do and where they're willing to go, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Don't, so, so, like, I guess let me let me give you an answer on, on Jamero then. Yeah. Because he's, He's been a guy in, uh, he's definitely someone in training that, that stands out with, uh, like, sort of in the same way as Warren Corvallis. When he goes into a tackle, he, he just sort of comes out with the ball. Um, and he, it, his closing speed is, is incredibly impressive. Yeah. So, you know, it's like the one thing you immediately notice is that he's a small guy, but he gets the ball quick. And then when he comes out of it, he's usually moving quickly as well before anyone else can, can sort of read and respond. Yeah. And, and I think the, the most impressive thing I, I saw him do last weekend was really then take up those central positions where he was willing to get right there at the top of the final third when when Madunian was over, being the extra body on the in the channel. So you had a man advantage, and you also had Montero reading the play and being willing to drop into that center and uh, and become an attacker. And if he's if he can if he can fill that role as both an attacker and a guy who just you know shuts down opposition attacks then you're looking at a lot of turnovers in the attacking half and I think that's you know that's sort of the secret sauce that makes everything work is getting those high turnovers yeah yeah for sure um you know I was going to ask you about Brendan Aronson and I I don't want to I'm not going to just like 
I'm not going to put you on the spot with a like, give me your four starting midfielders or anything like that. But I want to, I want to like advance it in a different way. Um, okay. So like, imagine you're you're Jim Curtin and you're looking at this crop, this crop of Fabian, Aronson, Bedoyev, Montero, Medunian, Warren Craval. Uh, what what are your determinations for for who starts and who not and, and who does not start? I mean, you look into the depth and you say, well, I'm going to be able to at least like get two of these guys off the bench if I want. Um, but I don't know. Are you looking specifically at how the shuttlers work, how the tens work? I mean, do you see interchangeable parts there? I mean, what's what's more of like the macro level look at the diamond? Uh, so so the way the way I've thought about it, if I'm I mean, I'm, I can't speak for Jim, obviously, because he, he does it for himself. Um, and, you know, I can, not, can't say I'm in any of those meetings where he's making the decisions. But yeah. the, the, way, the way it looks from the outside is that you've got the choice of either sort of a, a defensive, more defensive uh, idea where you're saying, all right, we need to guys in there whose first thought after turnovers is let's make sure we, we get alongside Medunian and close off the center. And, and make sure that when the other team possesses, they're not penetrating. Yeah. And then the other option, I think, is what you look at right now, where you've got um, you've got uh, Fabian with the freedom to sort of step up into a front three at times when you want to press high, and you've got both Aronson and Bedoya who can really quickly read and close down balls. And you see, both Aronson is incredibly good at that. Uh, you know, the moves where he either he either steps out really quickly to close down a fullback, or where he becomes the second guy pressing. Yeah. Once you once you have a pass into the channel in the center, and so I think right now when the Union thinks they're going to be the the aggressor in a game, and they think they can confidently make that prediction, then you're you're going with, um, you know, Aronson, Bedoya, Fabian, and Madunian. Yeah. And I think there's every chance that Montero can get in that mix as well, and. I think you'll also see you'll see games. I mean, even in LA, I think look at Galaxy on a road trip and you say, like, are we really going to stick with the same lineup again? I, I, I don't know. But mm. you have guys who can step in. I don't think you see any fall off in, in sort of what you're able to do, at least defensively. And I think that's everything this season is about, that defensive compactness that allows you to create those transitions. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you did um, the podcast with Harris uh, last week, or this, or it was the most recent podcast that you did. Yeah. Um, it was it was really good, and instead of me asking you a question about that, I guess I would <laughs> have I guess I would have you tell me what your what your takeaway was from from that discussion with him. Uh, dude, honestly, my takeaway was that he was he was incredibly honest because I I went into it really wanting to ask. You know what did what do you think of sort of the season Chris where the the focus was on his individual defending yeah. uh, in Toronto and then also in Kansas City he got a lot of he got a lot of flack and the flip side of that was he he did seem to be the guy who was constantly making the first pass out of defense and so you know from from his perspective it was well how do you how do you see this uh, from your and what has to what has to work for you to be able to handle that number six role and I think he compared himself to Golo Conte and I won't forget that and said this is this is not who I am. Yeah. But if like I know how the shape is supposed to be and if we're all on the same page then I'm not worried. I can make little adjustments here or there, but the ball shouldn't be getting into those wide places where we're all scrambling back. Yeah. And he talked a lot about the the center backs not being so close to, to Dre that they are taking away the space that Dre can cover. And that means the midfielders don't have to be so close to the six-yard box, and they can cover a higher zone. And then you only have you have Marco up top of that zone. You have an outlet. And so to me, it was it was just how how well he understood that um, that while he's going to get flack because he's clearly not you know uh, the typical number six, how well he understood that yeah. he can be a productive player if the if the system is played correctly and it takes all eleven guys. And I think I've never heard someone sort of put it so clearly that you. Uh, but they, they sort of say, you know, obviously I can do things that are better, but I also understand that when the ball's in these positions, it's going to be chaotic. Yeah. What you really need to do is not let it get in those positions. And the past few games, I mean, what do what they allow? Like one shot from open play against... Um, yeah, in the... I think two, two or three, maybe only two against Spinsky. Yeah. And then only one against Dallas from open play. And I mean, that's that's from preventing those 2v1s in the wide areas. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting about about the comment 
about uh, where the defense sets up next to Andre because, I mean, you, you can only set your line relative to where the line is in front of you or behind you when you're a midfielder, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's only – like some people might listen to that and they might say he's just making excuses, but I don't think so because I know – that if I'm if I'm too far back, I'm dragging as a center back. I'm saying if I'm too too far back, um, and I'm asking for it's it's the 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 main mentality for a center back or any defender is to say come back and help me, come back and help me. You know, right. I need you closer to me. I need you tracking this guy. I need you to do this. Nobody, no center back really learns at a young age. I didn't really learn this concept until I was like in my mid twenties. But to me, it's not about it's it's even less about pulling people back to help me. It's that I can help them by going closer to them forward, you know, closing that gap there and then having a trust in my in my transitional speed that if they do want to chunk it over the top, I can get back there and cover it, you know. So I think there's as much a you talk about building a shell like on the two sides of the, the, the example I use here a million times is how like AC Milan would put like Gattuso and Seydorf on either side of Pirlo, right? And that shape, yeah. that shape played more narrow than what the Union are playing now. But it was as much about Nesta and like Kaladze or whoever the hell else they had playing for them who would understand the spacing with Pirlo at the same time as, as, as to understand like, look, we know he's not going to like put out a transitional fire. So why don't we help him as much as possible by closing the gap forward instead of coming back? Yeah, and then, and then I, I think you have to buy into the benefits you're getting out of that, which is that like Madunian has been just not a not a chance creator like we're used to seeing from a number ten position, but uh, I think against Dallas, his ability to spread the field and some of those uh, some of those wide areas where then you saw uh, Bedoya and um, Fabian mm-hmm. able to create the two he wanted. And Bedoya talked about when I talked about that when I talked to him last week, where he said at halftime of the Cincy game, he was telling Marco like, you know, you got to get over to my side because we can create numerical advantages. And being able to pull Marco out of the center like that is is the the benefit you have when you have someone who can still spray the passes around, and that you have to buy into it because you know that Virginia is not going to be there to just cover you side to side defensively. Yeah. But you're getting these benefits where the other team instead is moving side to side so much more than they would otherwise. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, and then you have a little bit of muscle memory there from the amazing possession that they had up on the the right flank last year with Dochkal and Keegan Rosenberry and whatnot. I think it's like you still see parts of the like remnants of that game in the new system as well, which is interesting. Um, let me ask you: this was a question that the fans dropped in for me actually at the end of the podcast, but I wanted to bring you into it. Um, is this the deepest team the Union have ever fielded? Yeah, I mean. It- in my view, there's no doubt. It has to be, like, right? I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I'm talking about your your big your big uh, striker signing right now is probably I think fairly fourth on the depth chart because the other three guys can. I mean, Fafa hasn't scored, but he's got an XG that's looking uh, looking very friendly, and he's a, yeah. a pressing maniac up there. And then you got a calm scoring. You've got Corey Burke who brings a whole other dimension, and so you've got a million dollar striker sitting there i know right it's crazy yeah because i was i was was sitting here thinking like you know the 2011 team like when carlos ruiz was there in the beginning uh obviously danny mwanga was coming off the bench jack mcinerney was coming off the bench uh roger torres came off the bench for a little bit uh mike farfan was a rookie that year so he started on the bench before he he won a starting gig later in the year so, I mean, right. if, if we're sitting here saying, like, that team and maybe the 2016 team are, are the are the best union teams along with maybe last year and this year, um, I mean, you talk about bringing Montero, Ilsenio, Corey Burke, and Sergio Santos off a healthy bench. I mean, for sure that's that's <laughs> for sure that's better than anything they've ever had, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's and that's not even mentioning that, you know, you're, you're, you're looking too deep at both fullback positions and you've got Mark McKenzie who hasn't – be able to get time yet and yeah, he's yeah. probably one of the best young center backs in, in the US. Yeah, for sure. Um let me ask you a really dorky center back question. But I would only ever ask you this for like a from a <laughs> from like a from like a geeky technical standpoint, you know? Um Jack Elliott connected on like more than half of the long balls that he played um on Saturday. I, I feel like there's something different about the way he plays those. Like do do you 
feel like he's just driving those at like a lower trajectory or something like that? Because I, I don't see a lot of MLS center backs play the long balls that he does and connect kind of like as, as low as they, as they fly as he does. Yeah. And there's someone else who, uh, you know, Jim Curran said he admires as a center back. Uh, can, you see play like a similar type of ball is Will Simon. And, you know, in his yeah. day at Montreal, I mean, that was the type of ball that was just scary to face because it gets where it's going so fast. And that's the, the real benefit of it. And, one of the one of the things that's that's been really nice to see this year, I think that that helps Elliot with that is that Austin Trusty's been uh, been really clean on the ball. He often moves it, you know, even quicker than he did last year. Yeah, and that gives Elliot the time to pick his head up and, and play those balls in. And it's um, you know, I, it's the sort of thing where, like in theory, I go, oh yeah, of course that that's the way it should be. But to see it in practice uh, in the first few games here is just really. It's really nice to see, you know, like, hey, you move the ball quickly. This is the benefit to your ball playing center back. He picks his head up. He knows where he's going with it. He's not rushing his kick. And you see those low driven balls that, I mean, that's got to be so frustrating as a defender when you're making your sprint. Yeah, it, it really is, man. Because when you see them, them see those balls coming in flat like that, you know, you're trying to track and 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 move your feet backwards at the same time. And even when you get ahead on it, it's you're driving it further back than if the ball is looped and I can try to pop it higher up into the air. It's just, yeah, yeah I've just never really seen a union player hit, hit that ball like that before. You know, Vince Nogueri used to hit those big, long diagonals, but he was doing it from different positions on the field. I, I think most center backs would say they have no problem hitting like a 40 or 50 yarder or something like that, but you know that you're never going to put enough pace or trajectory on it that it's going to get there before a defender, you know? I think that's that's a difference in Jack's game. Yeah, it's, it's weird that all three of the center backs that the Union usually use and they hit those balls differently. And also, you know, like Medunian, as you're talking about it, I was like, yeah, you know, Medunian hits those long balls with, with a bit of a curve on them. Like, yeah. even when they're going straight, he hits them to sort of come back to the receiver. <laughs> and Jack just really hits them. And, and you know, my, part of this might be that Kai Wagner, who's another guy who's just started really strong, yeah. has been timing those forward runs really well so that Elliot doesn't have to hang the ball up. Yeah. Because the, the guy he's hitting is already in that forward position. Yeah. Uh, and I actually hadn't I hadn't thought of that to look for that before you brought it up, but uh, I wonder if that's part of the, of the play as well. Can I tell you something that's even more dorky than what I just asked you? And um, <laughs> I think this was might have been the weirdest question I've ever asked Jim, like, ever, but... Um, I think a, a, a kind of underrated uh, measurable in soccer is foot size, and what I what I, and that kind of blends into what I was saying about Elliot because, for example, like I wear a size twelve, and so I have a problem kind of hitting the ball flush with my laces, where it's a lot easier for me to curl my my foot around the ball, you know. Um, yeah. And you have a guy like Sebastian Javinko, who's like five foot five, has like the smallest feet on the planet. And you see how, because his feet are smaller, he's able to strike the ball in different ways that make it swerve and make it move. You know, um, I, I feel like that plays some kind of role into Harris's game. Why he why he puts so much spin, uh, even on like intermediate and short passes, um, because like you say, you know, he's hitting these like little like 30 and 40 yarders and stuff like that. But even like these low like lasers and stuff, he's like cutting the, the hell out of it. Yeah, that, I had I had never thought of that. <laughs> I, I, one, one thing I really that's interesting about the way Harris hits the ball sometimes is the way he hits it with like a short back thing. Um, yeah. I mean, you see Elliot like it's like a Stephen Gerrard uh, shot where you just see the leg go back and then it it locks him back position and then the calf swings and the whole thing follows it. Yeah. Um, and you see it take off, but I, I never thought about this guys before, but now, now I'll be locked into that next practice. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to do a study on that. What's everybody's foot size. Maybe that's charted somewhere. Uh, but that's, yeah, that, you know, looking at that. that's discussion that you always, you only get on, uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> Adam, last one for you. I don't have one written down, so I'm just going to make it up right now. Um, where where do you see if there's anything during this three game win streak, or even just the early part of the season, where you feel like uh, you like you feel like they can improve right now, or something that could be better, even though they're playing really well right now? What's what's kind of the next step to get them over the hump and take them from the level they're at now to the very next level? Well, I, I think the the one thing that stands out is you know the, the shot suppression has been so good during this win streak, um, but you do see that. Uh, 
on on set pieces, especially from corners. That's where a few of the the shots have come from. There was the the Hollingshead chance off a corner for Dallas. Yeah, uh, that's that's how since he was able to generate some. You know, it's it's the sort of thing where you're like it's a it's a good problem to have if that's the the biggest one you're looking at. But at the same time, when you look at uh, some of these teams that you're going to face in the near future, um, you know, LA's got a lot of big bodies. This is this is probably an area that you can uh, you can continue to work on and clean up, and also uh, figure out how to transition out of those. And so I think I think if uh, if I'm sort of guessing what what they're looking at for areas to improve, it's still the attacking transitions and, and moving off of turnovers when you get them in the attacking end. Because as, as much as they've been able to generate some chances like that first goal against Columbus, I think when you create as many attacking half turnovers as they've been able to do so far you want to be able to move from that turnover to a shot a lot faster. And uh, and I think that's something, along with the set pieces, that, uh, that I look at and say, yeah, I expect this to be something that's an area of focus uh, going forward. Adam Kahn from PhiladelphiaUnion.com. Follow him on Twitter. It's Adam T. Kahn. Uh, the stuff on the website has been great. Uh, the podcasts have been good. Uh, the, the breakdowns, the short little video pieces and whatnot. Um, it's all been really good stuff, man. I've enjoyed it. Dude, thank you. Absolutely. We um great to be back here too. I, I appreciate the invite and uh, I highly recommend this podcast as well to uh, any <laughs> union fans and listeners out there. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for making your uh, second appearance on the podcast and uh hopefully we will make it uh, a third appearance sometime. Yeah, that'll be great, man. Thank you so much. All right, peace, brother. All right, it's time for your questions, comments, and concerns. Uh, but first, I have a comment. Um, a couple JP and Tommy uh, l- lines that I thought were kind of goofy from the other night or stuff that didn't make sense to me. Uh, a couple lines that stood out to me as being head, head scratchers, honestly. Um, I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm not to- Tommy's biggest fan. Like, I don't think he puts a lot of preparation into it. I'm not sure how much he really cares. Um he was okay the other night. I mean, I mean, the enthusiasm I think has been a little bit better, especially now that the team's winning and the team's playing well. Obviously, like over over the years, they historically have not been that great. So it's just like the fan thing. How excited can you get for a team that's not that good? Right? Probably goes both ways with the announcers as well. Um, There's a part in the first half where JP said, "Well, that's a late whistle when the ball was trickling like across the box, and Harris Madunian and looked like he was in position to take a left-footed shot from like 20 yards out. I mean." Yes, it's a late whistle because they're trying to play advantage. <laughs> like how many how many games has JP called in his entire career? They're trying to play advantage. That's why it's a late whistle. That's why there are late whistles in soccer. Uh, there's another part where Tommy uh, insisted that Jamiro Montero got the ball on a foul. And as he's saying, he definitely he said, like, quote, he got the ball. You see Montero with a huge handful of shirt. <laughs> on the defender in front of him. And this is on the replay, so I'm sure Tommy's looking at the monitor, you know. Um, then they also, one of them, I can't remember which one it says, this was after the, um, Hedges tackled uh, Corey Burke for the penalty. And uh, Reto Ziegler was standing there at the spot and <laughs> trying to do anything he could to delay it, right? And they said, why is there this discussion? Why is there this, this discussion? Because it's gamesmanship. Because it's gamesmanship. Dallas is trying to put off Marco Fabian and delay the penalty. And then Tommy says, that was stupidity taking the ball off the spot. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Fabian missed the penalty kick. Okay? You know when you have a guy who has a spotty track record for, for penalties this year, he already missed one, delay it as much as possible. You know, game the system, go conca calf, fall over, kick the ball off the spot, delay it, take the yellow card, you know? That all goes into the scouting report. That's all part of it. So how are you going to sit here and say that was stupidity taking the ball off the spot when they got exactly what they wanted out of it? It was a really bad, it was a really bad penalty. He hit it like two feet to the right of the goalkeeper, to the goalkeeper's right. And the goalkeeper saved it. So I, there's just some spots here. Like I give, the, I give 
JP and Tommy the benefit of the doubt if they're sitting in the studio and they're watching the entire game on a monitor and like they're they're looking at the same camera angles, the same replays and stuff that we are. But some things I'm sitting there and I'm looking at like it's clear as day. The guy's like got a whole handful of his shirt. It makes me wonder how much they're they're really paying attention. So all right, anyway, that's my one like rant. I was gonna do the rant about the soccer club about the a certain soccer club in Philadelphia, but I figured I'll just let them go. So all right, anyway, uh Richard Saunders wants to know. Uh, realistically, is everyone just high on Brendan Aronson or would it be better to have Montero starting? Uh, are Burke, Montero, and Santos better as subs? Uh Ilsenio shouldn't start ever again, right? He's a super sub. Well I'll take let, let's take it backwards. Ilsenio looks like the best sub in Major League Soccer right now. You know, I mean, he just causes so many problems for teams when he comes on. Imagine having to face that, you know. Uh, but, yeah, 90 minutes, I mean, he's less effective. He's got to do more running. He's got to do more defending, so obviously. Um, are Burke, Montero, and Santos better as subs? I, Montero, I don't I think Montero should be a starter. I mean, I could see him starting and playing well in a game where you're on the road against a good team. Like, I think Brendan Aronson is a guy that you would start in a home game against Dallas for sure. I might want to see Montero on the road against Galaxy next week. Maybe it's a home away kind of thing. Um, I also kind of think I just like Brendan Aronson a little bit better. I, I thought I liked him better how he played in Atlanta as the 10 versus how he's played as a shuttler. I think his skill sets might might be a little better for, for the like that number 10 spot. Um, but it's a good problem to have. I just see I, I see a team with Montero and Bedoya in it as the shuttlers, and I just see a ton of mobility uh, and a ton of flexibility, a lot of glue there. Um, I would really, really like to see that. I'm not da- don't take that the wrong way. I'm not down on Brendan Aronson. I just feel like I feel like I like what I see from Montero, and I want to see more of it. So I feel like I want to see more of Montero than more of Aronson at this point, if that makes sense. But it doesn't mean that I'm down on either one of, on 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 the latter. I just feel like I, I'm more intrigued by what Montero can bring right now. Uh, Mike Rulo says, what's better for the team, benching Aronson or Fabian? To, uh, benching Aronson or Fabian to get Montero on the field? Yeah, I mean, I know. Look, uh, Fabian had a bad game. He missed a penalty. He conceded the foul leading to the Ziegler um, <clears throat> free kick that uh, Dallas scored on. So, but I, I don't, I mean, remember this time last year, people were ready to run Dogecoll out of town, you know? So we, we can't, we can't be that myopic to, to not remember what happened, you know, last year. And even like in the, when Vince Nogueira first came here, when, when Hack was trying to figure out how to use him, you know, where he had Carol and Adu and Nogueira all in there together, you know, and then figured out that it was better in, in a certain way, you know? So I'm not benching Marco Fabian right now. Okay, you're paying record money to this guy. I know at the end of the day it doesn't matter. People say, well, you just put the best player on the field, blah, blah, blah. You know, play your kids. This guy's blocking the development of your kid. Not really. There's plenty of spots to go around. You saw that they brought in three subs last week, and they all made a difference. So there's going to be plenty of minutes, plenty of games for all these guys to play. And, and no, as of April 9th, I'm not benching Marco Fabian for Brendan Aronson, okay? I like Aronson's game. I do. But, you know, we do this thing where it's like, you know, a young kid has one or two good games and then we want to crown him. So if you want to crown him, then crown their asses, as uh, Denny Green once said. Oh, there's Union Hulk uh, checking in. Uh, Are we glad that Arian Robin and Toronto FC is not happening because Michael Bradley insists that he be the only bald man on the team? Uh, he's definitely coming to Philadelphia Union, right? Also, why do people get excited for Crystal Pepsi? It tastes like a lemony asshole. Uh, Crystal Pepsi, is that a thing? Jesus. Um, yeah, Ariane Robin and Michael Bradley on the same team. That would be a lot of baldness, huh? They could get a, a hair club for men branding or something like that. Um, <laughs> no, this team doesn't need Ariane Robin. Uh, Hatinho, every, like everybody wants to know about Montero and Aronson. I feel like we should have just done a Montero and Aronson podcast. Uh, does Montero get a start against LA? Who's the odd man out when he does break the starting 11? <laughs> I mean, I think it's Aronson. I think it's Aronson. I think Aronson's a guy who can be effective coming off the bench too. I think he can come in for Fabian as well. So whereas I don't, I don't know if Montero, I don't know if you play. I mean, remember too, it, they basically threw like, 
tactics out the window in this game. I know everybody made a big deal about Bedoya playing right back, and it was a nice tactical wrinkle from Jim, but you got to understand, like at that point, Dallas had no interest in getting any numbers forward. So Ollie was sort of a glorified right back at that point. Most of, most of that positioning was just to give them another body forward in possession uh, in a way that would fit the personnel to get Montero on there. So, um, I don't know. I, I would I would not mind seeing Montero, Bedoya, Fabian, and uh, Harris Medunian in LA, and see Brendan Aronson come off the bench in the 60th minute, or for Montero, or you see him uh, come on for Marco Fabian around 70 minutes or something like that, and then maybe start him at home in the next game. So there's a lot left to play. Um, Adam says, "How is the grass at Talon going to hold up to doubleheader?" Oh my God, yeah hold up the double headers when it was chunking up after only a few minutes of play on Saturday, uh, all parentheses, although it's not as bad as a certain mini pitch in the Bronx. Yeah. It looked bad, man. It looked beat up. Um, it looked really, ch- it looked really streaky on, uh, on TV as if you could see the lines where the sod was, was, um, was laid in. <clears throat> I don't know, man. It's a lot of wear and tear. Um, they have a double header coming up soon. Another one coming up soon, I guess. I don't know. Um, Ernie Stewart would be flipping shit if that was if that was the case, you know. I don't know. He might he have Bethlehem Steel playing out on the practice field or something like that. I don't know, man. I don't know. But um you know, this is a team that works really well keep by keeping the ball on the ground, you know. Um Harris Medunian is a guy who benefits from having a very, very flat and very, very grassy <laughs> um field. So I don't know. But it, it I I said to my there was there I said to my wife there was a there's a play where Barrios, Michael Barrios came off to the side and it was actually on the other side of the touch line, but when he planted this whole big chunk of sod came up and he just like looked at it like you gotta be kidding me. Um that's a shame too, because there's never really been field problems at Talon. Talon's always been one of the nicer fields in the league. I know we bitch about Chester all the time and the location of the stadium and whatnot, but I th- I think when you look at the situations of like New England and uh, New York City FC and some some of the other like crappy like field situations that other people are in. I think I think we ha- we have it pretty good in at Talon for sure. Um, Scott Eric says, "Will Derek Jones be seen again?" Uh, no, probably not. And uh, <clears throat> you know, considering the certain club where he came from in West Philadelphia and how other people from that club represent themselves and carry themselves on the field. I'm not surprised why Derek Jones is outside of the 18. All right. I think everybody can connect the dots there. And if you want to know more about it, just send me a direct message. <coughs> um, Jack Fritzadelphia is legendary. He wants to know the union's all time starting 11. Okay. So I actually peeped this one before uh, going through it. Cause th- th- sometimes they get like these long questions where people ask me actually good questions, but I'm not prepared to like take them on the fly. So I, I actually looked through the whole list first this time. So here's my all time union starting 11. And I just like did it as far as like, who were the, like, I, you know, I, I didn't really factor in, I, I didn't really do any kind of specific criteria, like how long they served here, or how many goals they scored or anything like that. Just sort of like who I felt was like the best 11. Um, so I went with Andre Blake as the goalkeeper. I did a back three, actually, of Carlos Valdez, Marisa Du, and Shane and Williams. Because even though Moa Du played midfield here for a little bit, he was a really good center back for a while here. And uh, you know what? The, 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 the center backs that the Union have now are young. Uh, I don't know if I'd put them on a best of list, especially when they're still active. But when you go through the years, I mean, Danny Califf had like two good years. Um God, I mean, who who else who else was here? Like Ken Tribbett and Richie Marquez and Josh Yarrow, Jeff Park. You know, Amobi went back and played there for a little bit. I don't know. There was a lot of like change. Ethan White was back there for a little bit. There was a lot of change at the center back position. So I went. I did a back three of Marisa Du, Carlos Valdez, Shane, and Williams. Then I have a, a f- midfield five of Brian Carroll, Vince Nogueira, Tranquil Barnetta, uh, Boric Dojkal, and El Sino. Senior actually has a lot of goals and a lot of assists when you look at the charts, the all-time charts here, if you can believe it. Uh, And then in front of those two, I have Christian Maidana and Sebastian Latou. So I don't know if I missed anybody there. I didn't put CJ on the list, even though he's second in goals scored here, just because, like, if, I don't know, if you gave anybody as much time as as him, you'd be second in goals scored as well. But 
Uh, that's my 11. Uh, Mike says, what uh, with a current one for three mark, do we chalk it up to early season form or does the union need to find a new penalty taker? Uh, if not Marco, who should it be outside of uh, outside of uh, Roland Alberg returning and taking the ball? Yeah, Marco Fabian, uh, one for three so far, and they haven't looked good. Um, I don't trust Fafa Pico's finishing. I don't know how David Akam is from the spot. I think he hit some penalties for Chicago in the past. I wouldn't mind seeing Harris Madunian in take penalties. I think he'd be pretty accurate with them. I don't like anybody in defense really ever taking uh penalties unless you're like some really solid just positionally sound like left back or something like that like like i could see phil Lom taking penalties you know what i mean but i don't know if i want kai wagner doing it um bedoya maybe i don't think he has much of a penalty history um who's in this at aronson montero um cory burke i guess if he's up there maybe if sergio santos comes back he could be a penalty taker i don't know yeah it is that is a questionable kind of thing i really don't know i I really don't have a great answer for that i guess i'd have to look up all their records maybe this is another one that i should have looked up before um doing the podcast uh brodor says who sits on the iron throne uh when all is said and done is it Tyrion? <laughs> I'm working on a Game of Thrones uh, piece for uh, Crossing Broad right now. It's been like a it's been like a week working on it, but I've only actually put like an hour into it. It's just I can't finish it. Um, I don't know. It it'll probably be somebody surprising. Like, what if the Night King wins the whole damn thing? What if the Night King ends up being somebody we know? I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to Game of Thrones coming back, but I I got to be honest with you. I think it's lost a little bit of luster with me. Number one, because it's been two years since I last watched an episode. And also because, like, things moved so fast in the last season after, like, years and years and years of buildup that it just didn't make sense to me. Some of the storylines were shit, too. Like, Dorn was a joke and the Sand Snakes and whatever the hell that was. And, uh, you know, now you got, like, a zombie dragon flying around and stuff like that and of more incest. I don't know. It's it's starting to go a little bit in a circle, I think. So I, I'm glad they're wrapping it up uh, when they are. That's for sure. Um, Lay Tuper ninety says any updates about developments around the stadium, or am I being delusionally optimistic? No, I haven't heard anything. I know that they were going through some plans with some different firms and things like that, and looking at uh, what they could do along the riverfront. But I haven't heard anything about that um, in a while. Uh, another one here: uh, predictions. Does a com reclaim his ten goal a year form over the rest of the season, uh, or were those two games he scored just a high point, followed by a less productive run of form coming? Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Adam was talking about at the beginning how Cincy and Dallas both kind of sat back, you know, which was was interesting to me because I, you know, obviously, you know, you're not going to a calm and Pico are not going to use their speed as much against a, a team that's that's sitting back like that. But ironically, they got Cincy on like a counterattacking goal. So <laughs> I don't know. I think he can be a ten goal a year performer. I, I mean, I guess. Saturday, I, he also asked, does Burke earn a starting spot versus Los Angeles? I think I would, I guess I would go with Corey and Akam maybe this time around. I'm not, I mean, I know some people are down on Pico, but he's he's still working hard and his XG is okay. I don't, I still want to see the most of Sergio Santos. You know, this guy they spent $500,000 for. So, you know, if I had to pick two of those four right now, I think I'd pick Akam and Santos. Akam, because I think he's playing well. He had the shot that was saved. Madunian had the beautiful trap and press. Uh, won the ball off of whoever the hell that was in the middle. Um, played a beautiful outside of his left shoulder, outside of Akam's left shoulder, right into his stride, and Akam hit the low shot that was saved. But, man, that would have been a pretty goal. Um, I still think I still think I leave Akam on the field. Yeah. Um, Joe says, have you ever seen a better form tackle on a soccer field than that? <laughs> the hedges thing. Yeah. I just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what the hell he was doing. Cause you, you can, you, you can kind of like muscle him like towards, you can try to box him. Those plays are really, really weird as a center back. Like they ran, they rarely happen, but you can try to box the guy out by, by placing him by bodying him in the net, like over the line, so that obviously he's not going to be able to jump for something like that. But he basically just reached out with two hands and 
<laughs> I don't know what he was trying to get away with it or what he was trying to do if he thought he could get away with it there. Um, also, how bad was the ref, really? Um, I never thought I would hear the River Inn audibly chanting for Geiger as a favorable alternative. I mean, they're all, it's, you know, it's pro. It's a hard, it's a hard thing, man. I think center refing is tough. Um, I didn't, I honestly didn't think this guy was as bad as some of the other, some of the other, you know, to the Toronto game was worse for sure. Um, more depth questions, more depth questions. Uh, Vince says, is this a mirage like Orlando was last year? A calm looks healthy when playing well. Uh, uh, is it a mirage? I don't know, but. You know, we've seen this team play well in the bomb just last year. So, Calm looks healthy and playing well. Uh, at this point, should we expect the attackers to be a, a Calm and whoever else? Uh, yeah, yes. Um, a common Burke, a common Santos, a common Fafa, whoever. Um, does a Calm spacing help or hurt Marco Fabian? Uh, no, no, I think it helps. Um, I think it helps for sure. He's it's it's interesting for Fabian. You know, try to. I want to spend more time in the next game looking at his position in the buildup. Um, I feel like the shuttlers are a little higher. I think I feel like they're building up kind of in the same way they did last year, you know, where Harris is doing most of the work back there and uh, the shuttlers aren't even on the screen. So I want to pay a little more attention to that the next time around. Uh, Mitch says, should Curtin experiment with Bedoya as a starting right back? Uh, or only when we're losing a match. No, no. I mean, I would always, I would only do it when they're, when they're losing a match. Because again, I mean, it's, it's like Bedoya was just a glorified like winger in, on the field the other night because he didn't. How much defending did he even really have to do? I mean, Dallas had no interest in getting forward. They were just going to sit on that lead and try and try to ride it out. Um, so that was just a thing where you were able to keep Ollie on the field, but put him in a different position because you knew there wasn't going to be a stress against his, his liability in that position. You know what I mean? Um, plus Bedoya is too good of a glue guy anyway, to take him out of his, his shuttle spot. So I, I wouldn't move him back there. No. Um, Matt says, no question here. I just wanted to say, give me more Montero. Uh, Matt Bogard says, how does this start feel compared to 2016 and your optimism for the rest of the season? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? They started out well right away with Ernie, too. Um, and then they kind of flatlined a little bit, you know? Um, I don't know. It, it it does feel like there's a little bit of a boost with, like, a new with new blood in there. Uh, but, again, the coach was the same, so it was interesting. Remember 2016, too, I think, like, everybody was like, well, Rosenberry, well, uh, you know, Yarrow, well... Uh, who else did they draft? Uh, Herbers, you know, like there was more. It was, it was also about the young guys too, but they all came through the draft. And now it's like Aronson, who's a homegrown, you know, and Trusty, who's a homegrown. So uh, there's similarities there, but it's strange that there's also like some subtle differences. Uh, Man on says, despite emphasizing the press so much, can you talk about what they're doing in possession? Um at times they seem to be possessing from a from a pressing formation in a way that has been successful do you have any insight into this just leftover muscle memory yeah that's what i said earlier muscle memory huh um i i do think it's kind of leftover from last year i do think they have some of the tendencies and some of the habits that they did especially again when you watch the build up um i thought the shuttlers would be closer to medunian but they're not i thought the shuttlers would be hanging back a little bit more and i thought the fullbacks would be further forward and maybe it's just by design because the fullbacks don't have a ton of experience, so you don't want to expose them too much. You don't want to send them too far forward in the buildup. But um, that's what I just mentioned. I want to kind of watch that a little bit more in the next game and see maybe L.A. won't be the best uh, example since it's on the road. But maybe go back and watch this last game and just kind of kind of see where, where Harris is going with the ball because um, he's still starting everything from back deep, obviously. Um I feel like Austin Trusty too is still kind of. There's some moments where he doesn't know what he wants to do with the ball, and he'll just kind of, kind of, you know, lump it forward there. But I think I think he's been better on the ball this year. I think he still does that a little bit too much. And even if Elliott's a little bit better playing his long balls, there's still. I mean, you don't have to play 17 of them in a game. I don't think so. Um, that's a good question though. I will look more into that as we uh, as the season goes on here. Uh, Pretzel list is how many goals does Latan drop? I'll say one. Um, Jason says, I'm still waiting for 
the but what has he shown me camp person to tell me why I was wrong about playing a com when he's way better as a wide player than Burke and why the results show I wasn't. Wait, I got, hang on. I got to read this again. I'm still waiting for the but what has he shown me in camp shown me in camp homie to tell me why I was wrong about playing a com when he's way better as a wide player than Burke. Well, I mean, he's not yeah, I mean, so they're not really I mean, both of the strikers are just whatever. They pull wide and then they come central, they pull wide and they come central, but a com also played as a as a forward at times for Chicago when they had two striker sets. So I I think he's more of a, I don't know. Everybody says like a comms, a winger, Pico's a winger. This person's at this person. I feel like they're both kind of like tweeners. Uh, but I feel like a com is better, you know, obviously when he gets these running starts at players, but he's never really been a, I don't know. He, he's he's a speed burner, but he's more of a straight line burner. I don't think he's a guy. He's not like a guy like Ilsenio who's going to like stand on the ball, then make a move and beat two dudes. You know, he's he's good with his subtle subtle shiftiness when he when he gets moving. Like David Akam to me, I think is is very good at like um if you watch like a punt returner or like a kick returner in the NFL, if you some some of these guys are so good at making cuts with their hips like five or 10 yards in front of a guy that they can juke a guy out of their pants. Like when they're not even close to him, uh, Madunian actually does this very well too. Sometimes when he's in forward spots, he's not fast, but what he does is he has these little, this shift of his hips and this little like drag step, this little like rollover with the ball where sometimes he'll just catch guys leaning one way or moving in a certain position. He'll just do this, this little hip turn and like, uh, you know, like rollover kind of thing. Like when I say rollover, like he's dragging, like a drag over where he's dragging the ball with his left foot. And he just like guess guys turn the right way because they're not ready for that like hip shift. So sorry, Jason. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's just what I, what I see with those guys. Uh, James says first union player to be sold overseas. Uh, I'll say trusty or McKenzie. And we'll end it with uh Matty G who says this win is this win streak going to carry through the summer. Uh, or a flash in the pan. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't see them beating L.A., but if they can get a point, that'd be nice. Um, I don't know. They usually historically play well in the summer, so all they needed to do was win early, and so they're not, like, clawing, spending half of the summer clawing their way back, you know. So there's reasons to be optimistic. You know, they look pretty good out there. Um, still think the full base, still think they can get more out of the fullbacks. You know, I don't know if I trust Harris's de- defensive uh, you know, mindset for the full season, but it's hard to give them any uh, any criticism after the last three games. That's for sure. They've been really impressive. All right, episode number seventy-five. Yeah, normally we do something special every twenty-five episodes, but I couldn't. You know, the timing with the baby and stuff like that. I'm just going to try to do that sometime this summer. We may have news uh, on a special podcast coming up in the summer. Uh, I hope to be able to share that with you soon. Um, but this will probably be the last podcast before my life ends with the child. Um, so try to enjoy it until then.